Now we're going to discuss demonic possession. Demonic possession is when a person gives full consent to a demon, gives it full rights to take over their body completely. Now, the free will is never touched. What we give consent to when we as humans make this poor choice is for that demon to dominate our lower faculties, which is our body and our emotions. Our, our inner thoughts, our will, is never touched because the free will is sacrosanct. It's off limits to the devil. God does not allow that. So the person inside, even if uh, they have little ability to control their mouth or what they say or what they do, inside the free will still has a choice of saying, I don't want this anymore. That's very important. So how does this come about? Generally, uh, the usual process is going from oppression, which is a personal relationship with a demon that usually deepens and becomes a despotic, dominating situation where the demon is dominating the person. And then there comes a point, not always, sometimes hell just wants to oppress a person, but there often comes a point where the demons, because they always work in groups, it's never just one, will essentially say to the person, we want you to give us yourself completely. Now, you would say, most people would say, well, that's ridiculous. Who would ever say yes to that? And that's a reasonable question. The demons are great manipulators. So what they do, there's various routes to getting a person to say yes. One of them is through torturing the person such that they're so worn down and so tired and so uh, upset and kind of losing it over being tormented for so long and so sleep-deprived and in so much pain and are unable to function, unable to leave the house or to enjoy life. And then the demons say, all this torture can end if you just give in to us. And then we won't hurt you anymore. That's, of course, a lie. But the person may say yes to that because they're so worn down. Also, they may promise something if the person says yes. So instead of offering to stop a suffering, they may come to the person and say, your family will be provided for. That came from a real case where a mother of, I think it was five children, had lost their house three times. I believe it was either two or three times. It was many years ago. And the demons had come to her and said, your children will be provided for, a roof will be over their head, but you have to give us yourself. And of course that would have been a lie, but her maternal instincts in trying to protect her little children, she was a single mother, caused her to make that poor choice. So the devil has many, many avenues, depending on our personal makeup, to try to manipulate us into saying yes to that. Now, there's other forms that can lead to possession, other, other forms of that transaction. One may be through sin. So sometimes it's just through hardened sin, and I mean severely hardened sin, where you know, the person is wallowing in an unrepentant, uh, very little grace is left in, unless God gives it and just gives it, but often these people have turned away and rejected God so completely that there's very little left to impede the demons from coming and going, and the person may consent to it just because they're so deep into evil, it just feels natural to them at that point. And this can happen in the context of um, serious sin outside of the occult or within the occult. Now, one form that does sometimes happen is when a demon has been put into a person's body, 
by the parents or the grandparents or both when the person was born or in the womb. It's kind of the opposite of a baptism where the parents with their authority over that child, the spiritual authority given by God, exercise that authority and say they want the devil to quote-unquote bless or interact with that child versus the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to understand, in fact, critical, a demon being inside a body is not the same as possessing a body. Demons can be in the body but not have the right to take over that body until the free will of the person consents to that and gives those rights over because that person still has authority over their own body. Somebody else that had authority over them when they were not of the age of reason may have given that demon permission to enter that body, but the demon has to wait until the person gives it rights to take over. Now, from a real case, in one situation, a person was in another country outside of the United States and had a relative that was deeply involved in, in being kind of the area's um, kind of witch doctor type figure. Um, tarot card readings, herbal cures, spiritual intervention for things, uh, various types, but mo mostly fortune telling, but also kind of other functions. They had been schooled in this by their, by their family member when they were a little child, but they had never done it. But they had been in the room and sat on their knee and kind of innocently seen all this going on for years, but they never engaged in it. They were raised in a Catholic family. They came to this country. They had a normal life, their entire life, up until that point. So at about 26, they were in college and with friends, and their friends were playing with tarot cards, uh, you know, in an amateur way. It was uh, just a game you know, kids might play around with. They didn't understand what they were doing. And this person was watching and said, well, you know, I, I know a lot about that. Uh, if you want, I, I could show you how it's really done. She had never done it in her life. She had only been watched and schooled in it. So she made the choice and read those cards. That night, she went from completely normal, no oppression, no manifestations, no problems, to possession. When we were working with that person and praying with them, the demon would animate their body, take over their body, and the demon started complaining about their relative who had put the demon in this girl and was ranting and angry at this relative and was saying, this person put me in this pious girl. I had to sit here for 26 years. I was unable to do anything to her and deal with her being so kind and pious that it drove the demon crazy. The moment that she committed the sin that that demon was, that was its specialty, divination, she consented to its specialty and because it was already dwelling in her, it then gained the rights to be active and took over. Now, I believe that at this point she is free. She's been worked with, uh, she's being worked with with exorcists in her diocese. And I have very great confidence that she'll be freed because she uh, only did this once and, and is very uh, close with God and loves God very much. So there's a number of routes to possession through our consent, through hardened sin, through an ancestor putting a demon there and us consenting to that demon's specialty. And then there's the very dark forms that come out of Satanism and the occult. When we say Satanism, really I'm using a catch-all phrase. Uh, there's no one organized 
church that worships the devil. And there's really kind of two forms of it, essentially. One is more of a philosophy, and these people claim that they don't believe in an actual uh, Satan as a person, as a spirit that ever existed, that is more of a philosophical idea. And this would be kind of the Anton LaVey uh, Bible of Satanism school of thought, Uh, though that was likely just a veneer on genuine devil worship. So we have the philosophical, and then we have the people that acknowledge that that's an actual being, and they actually worship it. So what I'm talking about here is this darker form of genuine occult Satanism, where they, they acknowledge that this is an actual person that they seek to worship, they seek to conjure, to call it, to communicate with it, to do its bidding, and to get favors from it if they can. Within this, and this is usually not the young disenfranchised youth, usually this is adults that are much more serious, they were often born into, the fam- born into this in their family, um, it, it's generally a much more serious situation. They will do various rituals where they will explicitly ask a demon to possess them. And in their worldview, this is a good thing because that allows them to share in the power of that spirit that they're allowing to take over their body. Um, the spirit's not always using their body, and so they feel that you know, for the percentage of the time that they aren't using their body, they think at least going into this that it seems like a reasonable trade or whatever they're thinking. Now, sometimes they're actually cutting a deal where they're asking for a specific thing or a set of things that they want in their life in exchange for giving themselves over. One actual case um, that sounds kind of fanciful uh, because it's, it's been played out in, in popular kind of culture and, and cultural myth, but it's a case that actually happened, uh, was helping a young man He was in his 20s. He was requesting help, and when we got to him, he was in the corner of the living room in his his family's house, in his parents' house, um, in a dark room, had lost about 100 pounds, uh, probably hadn't bathed in a month or more, uh, and was unable to function, uh, hadn't left the house in, in a long time, had been taken to the hospital and evaluated multiple times, They couldn't find anything medically wrong with him. He was able to answer all the psychiatric questions. So they would just send him home. Um, We got to him. He presented as a possessed person, uh, reacted to holy things, uh, typical manifestation of demons. So in talking with him, what he related was when he had been 17 years old, he had a relative in his family that was involved in a genuine satanic coven in his city. Uh, He didn't know to what extent she was involved, but he knew that she was involved. And he was ambitious at 17. And they told him that they could show him how to bargain for what he was looking for. So he agreed to do this. And in this ritual, um, what they essentially do is they ask the demon to attach to a food object. Now remember, we understand that we can bless many things, including bless salt that can be used in the food in our cooking. Uh, It's a very traditional Catholic practice. So in the satanic version, they will, through a ritual that they do, which is irrelevant because the demons don't care about how you wiggle your fingers or say goofy words. None of that matters. It's all about the free will. 
So they do something and they ask the demon to attach to the food object and then the person eats that food object. And this is a symbolic way of granting entry into the body. So he bargained for the ability to play the guitar well, good times, and women. He had seven years of, of success and had all of those things and played uh, with high-level, well-known, uh, very dark band, uh, had the partying and, and had the women. When it was over, the devil pulled the rug out from under him and the demons proceeded to try to kill him. And that's when they stopped him from being able to eat. So if he did eat anything, he would regurgitate it because they controlled the body. Uh, they would take over his body whenever they wanted. His torture and torment was greatly increased at that point. Basically, they were done with him. Now, he bemoaned, it was one thing, just as a side note, he bemoaned the fact that he hadn't asked for money because when this was all over, he was broke. Now, of course, if he had asked for money, it wouldn't have mattered. Even if he got money in the process, the devil would have taken it all away, plus more, uh, when the devil was done with him. You never actually get what you bargain for uh, when people do things like this with demons. You will get a sham version of what you bargained for. Uh, and in the end, everything plus more than you had at the beginning will be taken away. And then they will try to destroy the person. Now, this person, we uh, had an exorcism. It was successful uh, in that session. He relapsed once where we're not sure exactly why, but the demons got back into his body. And that does, that does happen with possession cases sometimes. We have to keep an eye on people for a while. We had another exorcism. He was liberated and he's been freed, free ever since. Talked to him about once a year. So those are, those are some of the, the routes and some examples of cases. Now, there's a, a more extreme form uh, kind of, 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 of satanic or occult activity that we sometimes see. And that is people that come out of satanic ritual abuse situations. Now, you have to understand that all these cases of possession that we're talking about, real demonic possession, it comes out of very serious occult, dark activity. This is not something that usually comes from doing something minimal. Now, the example of the girl with the tarot cards, yes, that was relatively minimal. Lots of people play with tarot cards every day and nothing happens. Lots of people play with Ouija boards every day and nothing happens. But if there's a predisposition, if the person was set up, it can lead to more. But usually with full-blown possession, you're talking about people involved in real Satanism, devil worship, demon altry, the worship of demons, uh, very serious occult activity. So that being said, the most extreme version of that is basically the victims of satanic ritual abuse. And this is somewhat of a controversial topic. In the 90s, there was a satanic panic in the United States where uh, a lot of children were testifying that they were being used uh, kind of in, a, in occult rings and rituals and hidden chambers and all of this. And then nothing was found to corroborate these reports. And so we want to be you know, real cautious and, and, and convey and for you to understand that uh, this isn't going on all the time to our knowledge. It's not going on the way the satanic panic kind of portrayed it at the time at, at all. And in fact, these cases, just in my 10 years uh, of working in this area, are rare. So these satanic ritual abuse situations often lead to the person 
unfortunately staying in these families and, and becoming the next generation of it. But in some cases, the person, usually in their teens or in their 20s, when they go away to college, will have a sense of conflict in themselves, and they'll start rejecting this and wanting to be free. And what we see in possession, the dramatic manifestations that you see in the movies that are exaggerated, of course, um, and what we see in the people, and a lot of the suffering comes from the free will trying to reject the demon. And so the more they're rejecting it and struggling, the greater the manifestation going on as the demon is enraged and hurt and trying to corral the person and, like a bully, getting them to be submissive. So these satanic ritual abuse cases, they've had a lot of that in their lives. They reach out for help, usually when they're physically away from that family and, and the, the coven that they're a part of, and they'll end up working with, with the church at some point in many cases. These are often the most dramatic of the exorcisms because the level of relationship with the demons for these people is extreme. They have usually repeatedly, explicitly given permission to be possessed and used by the demonic. They have usually engaged in very vile and serious occult and black magic rituals uh, for many years. And so the devil claims that he has tremendous rights over these people. And so these are often some of the more violent and dramatic uh, exorcisms that we deal with, but not always. But they often are the most extreme. So what we see generally, if you think back to what we've discussed with demonic cases, from infestation to oppression to possession, and then the extreme form of possession with the satanic ritual abuse, if you look at it, you see that as the consent increases, as a free will consent to the relationship increases and deepens, the greater the suffering, the greater the manifestations in the person and around the person. And also the greater work to get the person extricated from that relationship. So, what we've been exploring here is just an overview of demonic possession. It is very real. It is rare. There might be one to four cases in a major U.S. city at any given time out of a few million people. Now, there's probably cases out there that we're not aware of that are not working with the Catholic Church. I'm sure there are people that are out there suffering in silence, not reaching out for help. But in these situations basically are rare. They do require serious training, supervision, assistance from people that have experience in this area. Out of all the areas that we've been talking about, demonic possession and the exorcism of the people that are possessed is the most dangerous. Now, in order to embark in this ministry, even, even assisting in this ministry, you must be well-trained, supervised, and be working with people that have legitimate authority, or if you're the priest appointed by the bishop, that you have the bishop's authority to do this work. This is not an area to go into lightly. This is not an area for people that are not formed and, and don't have authority or training in it, it's extremely dangerous. And what do I mean by dangerous? I don't mean that you're going to get thrown across the room, though that may happen. I don't mean that uh, something may follow you home and try to take revenge on you and, and, and hurt you in your home. They may try to do that too. What I mean is the danger to you in your mind, in your life, in your spirituality. The great danger is that the demons are not just thinking about that person that all these people are around and trying to help and love and charity. They are trying to spread themselves like a cancer to every person in that room.
They're looking for the weak spots. They're looking for the way to infiltrate, to plant a seed in that person's mind, to give an intimation or a hint or leaning on their thinking or their spirituality to start corrupting them. This is the process that is the most dangerous for those souls. Also, going into those situations, if a person has mortal sin on themselves, it's unconfessed, is extremely dangerous. It causes a vulnerability in the person when that demon is fully manifested in a body in that room. We have seen people go insane in that circumstance and be institutionalized because the demons attack spiritually, mentally, in every way, don't really know how to describe it exactly. And if there's vulnerabilities or weak spots there, the attack can have an effect on that person. This is really not something to, uh, to take lightly. So this has been an overview, an exploration of demonic possession. Some of the ways that people can become possessed, this isn't all of the ways cases can play out, but these are the major ones. Also, we've talked about exorcism. We've mentioned exorcism. We're not going to get into the details of how an exorcism is done here because that's really the arena for the priest in training to be an exorcist. And there's great danger to the public if you learn too much about that process that some people are going to misuse that and think that they can go do it themselves. And then that person's death or impairment or the, the fallout of that would be on the people that improperly shared that information. So we're protective of that because we want everybody to be safe and not get entangled with the demons and become the next case. Also, as a final note, as, as a reinforcement, because we're currently living in a modern paranormal craze in this country, a resurgence of the, resurgence of the spiritualist movement from the 1890s to the 1920s or so, remember that paranormal investigating is dabbling with spirits and inviting communication and interaction. Demonic spirits are usually the ones that take advantage of people opening those doors. And like the case that we discussed with the divining rods, they will get into that person's life and slowly reel them in over time. And that can lead to a deeper and deeper affliction. About a quarter to a fifth of the cases that we deal with are paranormal investigators. So even though not all paranormal investigators become possessed, it's a long process. I'm not saying that. But this is the beginning of opening the door in our modern age, and it's the most common way of opening that door. So, please be safe. Please take this area seriously, and God bless you. Next, we're going to explore some questions that the USCCB has published on their website about exorcism. These questions were published to correct some of the false information that floats around in our culture about this ministry. They were also prompted by the recent approval of the English translation of the New Exorcism Rite, the first revision since 1614. founder and president of Third Millennium Media. We are presenting this series to you with Adam Bly. He is a demonologist 
and uh, also assists priests in learning how to do exorcism. He does training of priests for that purpose. He is employed by the Diocese of Pittsburgh, and uh, managing and representing speakers such as Adam is just one of the many things we do at Third Millennium Media. I encourage you to uh, look at our website, thirdmillenniummedia.com.